I do love that when he reveals himself to Kamala, he literally just, yeah, like peels off his fake mustache and beard. And he's like, it's me. And she's like, what? And then someone comes in, he's like, oh, and like, puts it back on really quick. That killed me was when he put it back on. Cause I was like, oh, so he's revealed himself and now they're gonna like, she's confessed her love to him. Like, yay. And then someone else comes in and he puts it back on. I'm like, that's so <laughs> great so fast like it when was, you have a really shitty disguise you can reveal yourself it's like they're Clark Kent glasses like yes. it's so good Lillian hello to you how are you today hello I'm doing good I it's a Friday we did it unfortunately Somebody wants to talk to me about work for my job that they pay me for. So I actually should keep doing work today. Dude. But I get to take a break and talk about Jane Eyre. I'm so glad. And I can also relate 100% because I've had a light week at work and I've started every morning with a good hour of reading <laughs> Jane Eyre. So <laughs> I feel you. It's hard to pull away from fun and go back to responsibilities. But Ugh. yeah. You Just know? because they're paying me money, they want me to do work for the job. So ridiculous. In oh case gosh. any of my clients are listening, I actually love doing my job. I just <laughs> don't feel like doing it because it's Friday. <laughs> <laughs> so we are back to another adaptation and I am so excited. It's our first international adaptation. If you don't count movies made in America <laughs> uh, or the UK. Yeah. I was going to say, I'm like, you said it made in America and my brain like short circuited for a second because as an American, the world revolves around us. I do. <laughs> I like, yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, Jane is British. <laughs> so we are doing it, and you'll have to help me out with the date. I don't have that off the top of my head, but it's a Bollywood adaptation. And the IMDb page says loosely inspired by Jane Eyre, but I thought this was very direct of an adaptation, just minus a few cultural differences. But the film is, I believe, pronounced Sangdil, and mm -hmm. that's uh, what we watched and what we're about to talk about. Yeah, and um, it's from 1952, and I think loosely adapted... <laughs> I think we have such a specific curve that you and I are, are grading on because we've seen some things that I'm like, okay, that's Jane Eyre. I believe right. you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> this is it, way closer I mean, than Star Trek. <laughs> yes. Um, but it does. I mean, it takes place in what at the time was modern day India. So it takes place in India in 1952. There's some plot differences that are heavily weighted towards the beginning, mm -hmm. but I completely agree with you. I think going in, I was anticipating like allusions to Jane Eyre, yeah. where I think this is very clearly a story that is like Jane Eyre if it was taking place in India in 1952. And I really, really enjoyed it. And I'm so excited to talk to you about it because I, as we sort of mentioned in our last episode, I'm not really a Bollywood person, mm -hmm. not because I've always been kind of interested in it. I just haven't dipped my toe into that because it's so much. And I know that you are. And the whole time <laughs> I was watching this, I was like, oh my God, I can't wait to hear what Piper thinks about this because she has context here. So ooh, I'm excited. <laughs> Yay. Before we do that, should we do the quick recap? Yes. Um, okay. We we aren't going to be doing it. You're going to be doing it. I'm doing it. I, I'm going to get my timer ready. I really think this one is going to be longer than usual because it, you have a different plot to recap. Um, yeah. I mean, I might surprise you, but I might not. Who knows? I have nothing oh, okay. written down. I'm just going to wing it. Piper's, Piper's feeling the flow. She's like yeah. feeling the energy. Yeah. Go, Go Piper. Okay. So <laughs> the story of uh, Sangdale, aka an adaptation of Jane Eyre, is uh, we have uh, our Jane replacement is a woman named Kamla, and our Rochester replacement is a man named Shankar. And they are childhood uh, friends. They grew up together. And it was so in this one, uh, she essentially was taken in by Uncle Reed, but he's still alive. And I'm going to use a lot of like English mm. names because I can't remember everybody's name in the movie. Uh, he was still alive and he had a really mean wife and she was actively mean to little uh, Kamla and he was like literally on his deathbed and he's like don't attack this girl and she's like I'm gonna do it and it kills him. He's so sad. It kills him and the aunt who hates uh, Kamla decides she's gonna send this girl away. She doesn't like that he, she spends time with her son uh, Shankar who she's like oh my perfect boy and so she brings in a Brocklehurst to take her off to this orphanage but mid carriage ride uh, Kamla jumps out of the carriage because she's like fuck this i'm not going to go to this awful place with this awful man rolls down a hill gets found by priests and priests uh priestess priest 
priest priestess a priest, i can't say it and she gets brought to this temple and they're like oh who's your family and she's like i don't want to talk about that they're like would you like to become a priestess and she's like yes sounds great and they're like cool devote yourself to god and you can live here and learn how to dance and she does grows up um is a beautiful lady who works who works is a priestess works in this temple um and there's a ceremony happening uh where it's common to bring uh priestesses to places for the ceremony to like bless it and so she is brought to what is essentially thorn field where rochester lives um there's a couple of scenes where they interact with each other without really knowing that they are the each other's like childhood friends but then they kind of piece it together and then he is engaged he seems really depressed and dark he has all these weird secrets this this guy keeps coming around snooping around the house and being like what are you doing and he's like get out of here man and uh he decides he's going to start like wooing um Kamala once he knows that it's her and then um he does the whole uh instead of dressing up as a gypsy he dresses up as a uh a f- not a fortune teller an astrologer um and he therefore like both gets um Kamala to admit her feelings and also sends away his vain uh, uh fiance and then they start being together the whole like we're gonna do our marriage thing um oh there's been some like screams coming from upstairs and he's been covered in blood and she's like what's that about and he's like don't worry about it and so on their wedding day in comes the guy with the fez and the stick who's been like shaking his finger at rochester this whole time and he's like you have a wife and she's upstairs and you drove her to madness and we see her and she's totally crazy with these big crazy eyes and um then uh kamala goes back to the temple to redevote herself to god and they're about to cleanse in fire all of her previous belongings at the same time that thornfield is getting burned down by the crazy wife and uh then she like you know hears him on the wind and goes back to him to find it all burned up but he's blind and she's like i'll be with you and he's like oh my god it's you it's not a dream and they're together and it's cute so yes i guess that was a long time but there you go the end (laughs) it was it was just shy of three minutes oh no Um, but three minutes for a two and a half hour long movie that is different than and i think you called out a lot of the kind of critical critical shifts that we see in in this adaption, which I did look up. So Singdal, Singdil, it's spelled S-A-N-G-D-I-L. Um, and I just want to say a note up top. I wrote down pronunciations for a lot of the names. I looked up pronunciation videos. I'm still certain that I'm going to get them wrong. <laughs> and I just want to be clear, that is a failing on my part. That doesn't mean that Indian names are not worth learning. They absolutely are. You should learn how to pronounce names correctly. I am trying. I appreciate (laughs) kind corrections. And I guess if you want to correct me unkindly, that's my bad. Um, uh, So the, the translation of the name of the movie, though, is actually called Stonehearted, which I found really interesting. I I had looked up a lot about this movie. I have a lot of fun facts, including stories about the cast that are buck wild dude okay (laughs) that is a nice segue into my kind of talking a bit about um my love of bollywood i'm not surprised to hear that there are buck wild stories with these actors because and my knowledge of this is also based on like brief google searches so i'm not an expert and if i say things wrong also i apologize but it's not uncommon in my understanding that the like indian mafia is like pretty closely connected with bollywood (laughs) in historically i don't know about now so i've also heard many a thrilling story about certain actors but yeah no i kind of said in the end of last week's episode i really got into bollywood movies uh when i was in high school and especially in college i have my favorites and the thing that i was wondering about before I saw this is I was like, I wonder how similar old Bollywood is to new Bollywood, because I mentioned that nowadays, at least the movies that I see, these big blockbuster hits, it's pretty common that they span multiple genres. This felt as if it stayed strictly within its own singular singular genre, but it did do what is pretty classic for Bollywood, where it turned it into essentially kind of a musical. And we had both diegetic scenes where like she is singing Uh, And it's supposed to be literally what's happening because they're performing these dances and these ceremonies in the temple. But then we also have non-diegetic, which is kind of when in musical theater, someone suddenly breaks into song when you're walking down the street because you're expressing your emotions. So we had both scenes of... Uh, like her daydreaming and singing about him, him lamenting her loss and singing about her. Then when they got together, they'd sang a little love song, which was pretty classic Bollywood in my experience, where it's a lot of like nature scenes, you know, they're walking by beautiful spots, just singing about how in love they are. And so, yeah, there was that 
commonality, which I really enjoyed seeing. You know, sometimes I do this podcast and I think to myself, I've got some interesting things to say. And then my friend Piper goes, um, here's the difference between diegetic and non-diegetic songs and musicals. And I go, <laughs> I actually should maybe talk never again. No, you should. It's so helpful. I was, I literally like wrote down, I'm like, some of them are the ones where you know that they're singing. Piper's <laughs> <laughs> like, here's the actual terms. I'm a badass. Well, thank Yay. you. Yay. Um, Honestly, as that's coming out of my mouth, my brain is doing what it always does. And it's like, Piper, what if you've got them mixed up? What if actually diagenic is when it's meant to be? And I'm like, oh, shut up. Just talk confidently and people will believe you. <laughs> so if you, if you thought to yourself, that sounds wrong to me. Again, Piper accepts criticisms a lot better than I do, except for name <laughs> pronunciation corrections, which I will accept with a lot of grace. It, any other criticisms about me, Kmart parking lot, uh, yes. but Piper will take them with a little bit of a, Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Thanks for telling me. <laughs> so that I, I think that's such an interesting point. And I found myself while we were watching this. So this movie takes is about two and a half hours, which is a little bit on the long side for a Jane Eyre adoption. Although given the musical numbers, which were so much fun, I, which I, I want to hear what you think about the music, but because I don't know a lot about the kind of music that's in this, but it did take me about four hours to watch because I kept, because it's in Hindi. So I have to pay attention and read the subtitles. I would like see something. And then I'd be like, hold on, let me check on this. And I like paused it. And then I would spend like 20 minutes Googling something. Awesome. And then I would come back and be like, okay, now I understand what's going on. Let's keep going. <laughs> now, Lillian, that's so great to hear though, because that's way better of you, you know, taking the time to research and like kind of get the background on things instead of just simply watching and being like, I don't know what any of this is. So I love that. Respect, respect. Thanks. Um, I think the biggest thing that I want to mention before we, and we will talk about this the way that we normally do and not just the genre notes that we're talking about now. But one thing that really stuck out to me is obviously religion is a large theme in Jane Eyre generally, and primarily in the, in the original version and the adaptions that we've seen, that religion is a Western Christianity. So one that is fairly well-known, there's one God, he's pretty mad about stuff. He would love it if we would follow the rules that um, all those white guys are telling us about. We should really just do what they're saying, trust them, or as Jane and uh, Helen suggest, read the that one book and all the answers are in there. We, I'm, I'm not talking about it very eloquently and I'm sorry to people who are offended by this. I'm making it, I think it's funny. This is Lillian's Bible 101. Um, Welcome. But I took a class in college. So God, almost 10 years ago now about called religions of India. So I know just enough to really make a fool of myself here, um, but I kept being stuck. So the subtitles that we were reading kept referring to, it didn't use names a lot, mm -hmm. which was really tough because I obviously don't speak Hindi. So it's hard to pull out what's it like. It wouldn't say someone's name in the text of the subtitles sometimes. So that's part of the reason why, like, I also was just replacing them with the Jane Eyre characters that I know. Yeah. But it did the same thing with, so Shiva is the God that they were referring to. That's the God that she becomes a goddess for. A they kept for. just translating mm -hmm. into God and like mm -hmm. referring to it almost in like, it was almost like they were contextualizing it for a Western audience by translating it into English, which I understand the shortcut, but it also made it harder for me to then parse the mm -hmm. actual <laughs> things they were referring to. Yeah. So the highest level, only the facts that are relevant for <laughs> Hinduism for this film, there are sort of, there's lots and lots of different gods in Hinduism. There's lots of amazing stories. It's a very cool religion to learn about. I highly recommend learning about it. I've studied it a little bit and barely know anything. It's so cool to learn about, but there's three main gods within Hinduism that are like the, the kind of like three first gods that are connected to a lot of the other gods and goddesses. Again, trust other sources over me, um, but it's, <laughs> they all have lots of different names as well that they're known by. So, but they're, they're kind of most common names from the Googling that I've done was Brahma, who's the creator, Vishnu, who's the preserver and then Shiva, who's the god that she is 
a priestess for is the destroyer and reincarnator, which is particularly relevant because that's the God that the father who is dying at the beginning of the story is referring to and is talking about going to Mm -hmm. Shiva and all of this stuff. Another name for Shiva is Shankar. Yes, that's which is the name also the name of the main guy, which I do think I was saying wrong there. It's Shankar. So there's like a G sound in the middle of it. Shankar. Okay. Yeah. That stood out to me too, is because I I picked up on that at first the beginning and I was like, so because they were talking about Shankar, her love interest, but they were also talking about Shankar in relation when he wasn't even nearby. And Mm -hmm. I think there is a beautiful symbolism there too. Uh, There's a scene right after she does her first performance at the temple where she then kind of stands up and she looks off at the distance and she's saying Shankar. And we, the audience know that she's pining for her young love, Mm -hmm. but anyone else might think, oh, she's so, you know, moved. Uh, She's speaking to her God. And so I thought that was, yeah, that was cool that they did that. Yeah, it was a really beautiful, it was part of where I was like getting confused. And that's where I like took my little dip off and was trying to figure out what on earth she was talking about. And it really, it's, it's such a beautiful layer of this interesting storytelling that they're adding to this, where they're constantly asking her as this priestess to give up her connections to the world. And I think it's such an interesting way to kind of pivot that criticism that Jane Eyre has for society to this similar story, but criticizing it in a different way, right? Like they're asking her, we talk a lot about how in Jane Eyre, particularly with Sinjin Rivers, will ask Jane to give up the things of the world and devote herself to God. And in this case, the priests are the priestesses and the priests are telling her that as a priestess, she needs to give up her connections to the world and give herself to God. And she keeps saying, they keep saying, give up your worldly things. Haven't you given up everything? And she says, I'm fully devoted to Shankar. Mm-hmm. And what yeah. she means is the man that she loves. And we yeah. know that. Yeah, <laughs> and no, that's where her heart still is. It's beautiful. It's beautiful storytelling and a great adaptation. You mentioned like, you know, giving up her worldly objects when she first goes there. There's a couple of, what do I want to use here for terminology? Like totems, I would say that they both carry with them. So Shankar, her love, he carries with him the figurine of the God, which was like what her Uh, his father, you know, had at his deathbed, he asked them Mm -hmm. to bring the likeness of the God to him so he could have it close when he was passing away. And then after he, he died, then Shankar, his son kept that totem close to him. And then when they, before they departed, there was this cute scene between Kamla and Shankar and he gave her a flower and she kept that flower with her for a long time too. And then that's also something that kind of comes back again when Mm -hmm. they are reunited in the garden, when she's at his estate and she goes for a walk in the garden. And that's when, similar to in the original story of Jane Eyre, he comes riding by on his horse. And when he falls, I didn't actually see him reach for this, but she says, she's like, you fell from your horse because you were trying to grab, like pluck that flower. And it's, you know, of course this whole symbolism too, like he's reaching for that thing that symbolizes her and his still like ever blooming love for her, et cetera. Mm So they did, um, symbology is that the right word symbology symbolism symbology (laughs) shut up listen to me symbolism really well (laughs) oh my god the symbology of it (laughs) that's amazing I think what we're doing is symbology because we're studying the symbols and what they're doing is symbolism nice very nice I'm gonna google that later science here oh my gosh or or don't guys don't it's fine it's a word now if if you need to know the difference between symbolism and symbology a lot in your life I guess go google that but if not (laughs) it's okay (laughs) sometimes words I just need to get across a basic meaning. And that's what they did. Yeah. Um, and similar to how my brain sometimes makes up plot points when we're calling a, a story that didn't never happen. Sometimes my brain also just mashes a few words together. They're like, symbology sounds real. That's real. Go for that. Speak it with confidence. No one will question it. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's perfect. Yeah, I think one of, so we've talked a little bit about the biggest kind of chunk that has a very different plot is that beginning the 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 way that this story is set up is there's a ch- is there's a childhood relationship between our um, Jane Kamla 
and our Rochester Shankar. And they are living at his parents' house. So his father was friends with Jane's father. And when Jane died, Kamala, Mm -hmm. interchangeable. When Jane's father died, he asked his best friend, he said, you can have all of my money, but please also take care of my daughter and make sure that she has a good life. Yeah. And he promises to do that. And then he's very sick and dying. And his wife is a bitch. She's awful. And she, he says, let me die in peace at one point. <laughs> so that's like how terrible she is. Nobody likes her. She also literally in my translation, I'm pretty sure it's the same. She calls Kamala a bitch, like in the first mm-hmm. five minutes. And she's like slapping her around. Yeah. And I'm like, woo, this Mrs. Reed is awful. Yeah. So she is really, really, really awful. And we watch her like, unlike with Mrs. Reed, where Mrs. Reed is bitter because she's following through on her husband's witches. This woman is not going to do it. She no. just like, has no interest in actually taking care of this girl. And he knows that. He mm-hmm. like knows it immediately. He's like, you're going to let her die. Like you want her to die so bad because the money is actually tied to the little girl in this. Yeah. And so if she dies or disappears or whatever, she has no claim to that money anymore. And greed is a very big theme that they took from Jane Eyre and, and placed in this in a really interesting kind of different perspective. Yes. Shankar, our Rochester, is actually his son. And so he asks his son, because he knows that his son will do it, to promise to take care of Kamla. And then the mom does a trick right after the dad dies and sends her off with our Mr. Broccoli character. And then that's when she jumps out of the carriage, like you, you referenced in your summary, but it sort of, that's the biggest, that chunk, we get a lot of those similar characters. We get a lot of a similar, like traumatic childhood, didn't have a great experience, went somewhere else and found this very different kind of comfort. But that's where we see a lot of the differences in the plot, um, obviously establishing the, this, this different context for each of them. I think probably my biggest criticism of this, because I did really enjoy watching it, partly because we watch a lot of Jane Eyre and this is really different. And so it was interesting to like watch those differences. My biggest criticism was probably that they leaned really heavily on that childhood love to establish the fact that these two characters loved each other. Mm-hmm. I wish they had more actual interactions yeah. as adults mm-hmm. because there's sort of this instant love phenomena mm-hmm. where they're both trying to figure out who the other one is. And like, that's what most of their interactions are about is them uncovering the fact that they're these childhood friends. And does he know, do I know, but there's not a lot of that, like banter that we see that equality that we see. Yeah that makes a Jane Rochester relationship so intriguing. Mm-hmm. It leans really heavily on that. They love each other as children. As soon as they know it's each other, they're definitely in love again. It's interesting. I, I agree with what you're saying about the, like one of the strengths of some of the other Jane Eyre adaptations we've seen is that uh, equality that the two of them find in one another. But I do think it's interesting playing this, like childhood romance and then later on in life like adult romance it creates this other kind of connection and intimacy between them they are from childhood each other's ideals Mm -hmm. and it's what they've both been kind of striving for their entire lives she like they one of the first songs that they have is when they ask the maid to tell them a story she tells Mm -hmm. the story of this fairy princess who was chased by a witch and then a prince on a white horse came to save her. And so the children have a fantasy musical number where they are riding on his horse that can fly through the clouds uh, and singing this little song about how they're going to make a world of their own together. And so like Jane, as an adult, we often see, I really liked the way they did special effects in this, of uh-huh. kind of this layering of footage over the top of each other. So she would often see a miniature of the prince on the white horse kind of like riding around as if, you know, as she's thinking of him and singing this song that they sang together. And then he too is also has this life of hardship, which we can discuss in further detail later on. That's, I believe, beset on him by his mother and her greed. And so, but he also is constantly thinking of like, where is that princess that I knew as a child and that sweet girl and lucky for them when they meet, like she, Kamala is still just as perfect as he remembers her being. Shankar is a bit of a womanizer and, uh, (laughs) 
He, I, I really liked him later on. There were some scenes at the beginning where I was like, hmm, you, maybe you should stop following her through the house. <laughs> That's a little creepy. But yeah. then later, once, you know, all was revealed and they start connecting again, then I was like, okay, no, this guy's super romantic and I really feel for him. So we talk a lot about Rochester's passion and that's very clearly like Rochester explicitly discusses passion, right? And in the, in Jane Eyre, when it's actually a Rochester, he's traveling around the world going and finding these women and like, he's got that whole, there's no Adele in this. Um, so he has that whole affair. We know that he's out there seeking the pleasures of the flesh <laughs> and because he can't have the life that he really wants and he can't have the things that he really wants. And so that's, I think a similar way that they're portraying this in this character, but it's so in our face with him. Mm-hmm. He, so the, the equivalent of the Blanche character is his fiance. She's a character that he's actually engaged to her and mm-hmm. she has very lots of Blanche traits. She's supposed to have actually tricked another man out of his fortune already. Apparently several. Yeah. Which this Rochester is aware of, but yeah. he, he, I kind of love his sort of like self-destructive uh, depression, which mm-hmm. sounds weird to say, but like <laughs> when he's like talking about it, he's like, I know that she takes fortunes from men and she can take mine. I'm going to ruin myself. Like mm-hmm. I have it written down here. Shankar's revenge is also a plot to like destroy himself. And I think therefore mm-hmm. eventually just end his suffering. Yeah. It's so, so it's, it's tough to watch because I don't like him in those moments. Like we see this sweet boy and then we see this man who's like literally following a priestess through the house because he thinks she's pretty. Like at Mm -hmm. this point he's intrigued by her. We know that it's probably partly because he's like something in him is recognizing this old love of his, but he doesn't know that he, and that scene was so funny to me because she's the music is really dramatic she's walking through this house and he's always like less than five feet behind her yes and she keeps like looking over her shoulder like can you not and he's like here I come and she's (laughs) like she's like she'll like shuffle forward faster but she's never like running away from him or hiding or anything like that like she runs to the statue of the god and prays and that's the moment that he chooses to to leave her and just set her scarf down but he is following her in a way that feels very predatory that's what and i wrote down she too is just sort of like spooked by him and i did not enjoy that that was not my favorite moment in this film so i thought it was interesting the the setup to that is that she it's like the morning and she's getting ready for her day and she sets her window is open in the room that she's staying in and she sets her scarf on the windowsill and the wind blows the scarf out of the window and shankar is sitting down below like sipping tea like in this little courtyard and the scarf just like lands on his face which i thought was like kind of comical but so he then like he, and he says this, he takes that as he thought that she was flirting with him. Like she threw her scarf down to be like, Ooh, come up and see me. Cause he's used to ladies doing that. So he like literally comes up to her room and he's like, like kind of cornering her and like going to go in for a smooch. And he's like, Hey, like, I, I know the signs. Like you sent this down to me. You called for me and here I am. And she's like, I, I'm a priestess. I am so innocent. That was an accident. Nope. That's not what I meant. And then, um, the, what's essentially like the mother superior comes in to like, let her know the party's about to start. And, uh, he's like, cool, I'm going to see you later. And then he like leaves. And then that's like when he's following around the house with the scarf, that's him being like, remember, I said, I'm going to see you later. We're going to do some kisses. And she's like, oh my God, I got to get to my God. Like, so that, you know, I'm a holy lady. And he's like, oh yeah. Okay. Well, you know, uh, sweet. See you later. (laughs) It's similar to what you're talking about with that theme of the idea that he's like, very destructive. I think he's being destructive in that moment. I think this is supposed to be the example of like, He's sort of abandoned his morals, like, Mm. and we learn towards the end when he's giving his stay speech and he's explaining the context of what's happening, that he sort of has been carrying around not only the guilt of this wife that he has locked up, but also the guilt of failing Kamla. And Mm. that's sort of the first piece of his, he starts out feeling guilty from that moment in childhood when his mother sends her away and he's unable to find her. Mm-hmm. He's like, well, I've actually failed at the only thing that has ever mattered to me. So why would I give a shit about anything? Which is part of the reason why he's, 
he's manipulated into this marriage. Yeah. Um, and, uh, I can't remember if it's that moment or in the garden, but he says a line that I think really reflects his, his feelings towards her and his feelings about life in general, which is, I do not fear life or death. I only fear beauty. Yeah. Um, and he's saying that to her, to her while saying that she's beautiful. And he has this additional layer of attraction to her, which is so well portrayed in this movie. Mm -hmm. Um, is that like, obviously she's beautiful, which I like that they don't pretend that she's not absolutely gorgeous. Right. That, that there's this other layer of like, you're gorgeous. And there's something more about you too, that I'm really into. There was, I kept thinking about that because in Jane Eyre, the book Rochester, you know, talks about how she's a fairy, she's an elf, she's not mm -hmm. of this world. There's a similar comparison that's made about Kamala when she first jumps out of the carriage and rolls down the hill and she's brought to the temple where they say something sort of similar too. they're like, oh, she's so beautiful. She must be like sent from the gods. She should, you know devote her life to them. And I thought that was so interesting. The actress, I'm not sure her name, but she has these unbelievably large eyes that are incredibly captivating. Mm -hmm. And they really like focus in on that on a lot of these beautifully shot scenes with the high contrast and lighting and everything. Yeah. So I like that that was also kind of pulled in and they, they work with that. I, they never really seem to make an effort to say, you know, the whole kind of like Rochester is unattractive. Shankar is just like a good looking guy. One thing that you mentioned about Rochester in the book, you know, traveling around and having affairs and things, a way that I thought was really interesting that I personally interpreted um, them doing this is, I don't know if you noticed, but so his fiance and him both regularly are seen in more kind of Western styles uh, mm -hmm. for 50s clothing. So as opposed to a more kind of like traditional Indian uh, garb that we see kind of more with like Kamla and the people who are more kind of closely connected to their heritage and their traditions. And I wondered if that was sort of a nod to being like, look, he has gone, maybe he had education overseas. Maybe, you know, he's traveled around and he has this kind of quote unquote, like modern, like look about him. And we even hear a couple of times his fiance speak in English. Mm -hmm. So there is that kind of boundary drawn between, and it's so interesting here in this, in an Indian made film of being like, no, the other is the West and English mm -hmm. and a Western style of clothing. And the us and the home is you know, things that are kind of more traditional for our culture, which I loved seeing. Yeah, absolutely. I definitely saw a lot of allusions to things that I was like, this is more than I'm understanding. Like there are layers here that I'm not going to get. Obviously I'm going to get more of those layers and things that are written and performed and created for a Western audience, which this was very clearly not, but there's so much value in that. And I would love to hear if anybody has kind of additional understandings of that, that they, they want to provide. Cause I do, it was hard for, I saw some of that, that you're talking about, like she was never in any of that, that more Westernized clothing clothing. It was hard for me to know how much of that was the symbolism that you're talking about versus mm -hmm. that's what priestesses wear. So like, is it right. more of a connection to the religious aspect? And mm -hmm. I'm, I was just so certain with that and a lot of the other things that I'm like, there is more here than I can understand. <laughs> and again, that was just my read of it. Maybe oh, that sure. wasn't it, but that's kind of what I was personally picking up on. Another line that we talked a little bit about the wealth and the fact that his Blanche, whose name isn't written in this section of my notes, so we're going to call her Blanche, <laughs> is when he asks Kamala to give her honest opinion about his fiance. And she says she traps men for money. And, and he has this whole moment where he's talking about the fact that he doesn't really care about that and, and it's not important to him. And he knows that. And he's talking about giving away that wealth. He says, wealth has given me nothing but a painful wound. Mm -hmm. And I think there's, there's so many layers to that with this story where uh, the, the obvious one that we know about is he, his wife who's locked away, um, his mother tricked her, tricked him into marrying her for her money. So yes. they had a deal where he got the money and the title for the family as long mm -hmm. as he married this woman and then had to care for her. Mm -hmm. uh, but there's another layer of that with the father and the story with Kamla and Kamla had that money and that's how he was brought, she was brought into his life to begin with. Mm -hmm. And it's his mother's greed that resulted in Kamla being torn away from him, which is yeah. another layer of wound. So I thought that was a really interesting line. And he says an, another line shortly after that, that is obviously like 
sticks right for that romantic in me, which is the only uh, true, only true love can give me peace. Um, so it's clear that he's not actually seeking that because he doesn't think that this woman that he loves is available to him anymore because he searched for her and gave up, but he's actually saying that to her and she's there and can give me peace. I think that was one of my favorite elements of this movie is I think it really perfectly captured the drama of Rochester when he does these long soliloquies of he's like, oh, I am a tortured soul, but I long for deliverance and love and passion. And there were many scenes with him and Kamala just kind of standing together and having these these talks. And I appreciate a movie that takes its time to let the audience get absorbed in the feelings that these people are, you know, projecting. It didn't feel rushed at all in those moments. And I loved that. So I think that was something that for me made me really connect with their passion and their love. Absolutely. And I think another, another moment. So it's after that conversation where he's having all of these, these, um, speeches and he's, they're actually having, this is, I think their first long conversation after they meet. And then he gets this opportunity to actually talk to her and she has, she does save him from a fire. And this is shortly after that. And she hears, he hears her humming that song from their childhood. And so that's right before his sort of like, tell me what you think of my fiance and all of this conversation. And that's when the astrologer ends up coming in and dang man, it is just a beard. He's wearing a beard and a turban and that's his disguise. And she doesn't even, <laughs> Even a little bit like I was watching it and I was like either this is not a great disguise so. oh my god um. <laughs> it makes me think of there is quick little tangent um there's a comical musical uh on YouTube by the group uh Star Kid and it's a parody of Disney movies in general but but specifically of Aladdin and one of the things that they're making a joke of at one point is when Aladdin shows up dressed as the prince and Jasmine immediately goes it's you Aladdin and he's like how'd you know it was me and she's like it is you you're just wearing different clothes <laughs> and I was like that's amazing I never put that together in the animation that does the same face so, but yeah, yeah, once again, he he deceives them. Maybe it's partially like in his performance, you know, he's all kind of hunched over acting a bit more kind of old. And I do love that when he reveals himself to Kamala, he literally just, yeah, like peels off his fake mustache and beard. And he's like, it's me. And she's like, what? And then someone comes in, he's like, oh, and, like puts it back on really quick. <laughs> That killed me was when he put it back on because I was like oh so he's revealed himself and now they're gonna like she's confessed her love to him like yay and then someone else comes in he puts it back on I'm like that's <laughs> so great so fast like it when you so have a really shitty disguise you can reveal yourself it's like they're Clark Kent glasses like yes. it's so good <laughs> I also loved just in the comedy of that it was so great too that after he speaks with his fiance in this disguise and like lays the seeds of like oh your wealthy husband actually has a lot of debt and then she's like guards get this guy out of here and then his staff chases him off his own property <laughs> They have this whole scene where like four people chase him out into a storm. Yes. Like she, he's like, you just have to pay me and then I'll go. And she goes, I'm not going to pay you for that. That was a shitty fortune. And I didn't like it. And he goes, well, I'm sorry. Your future sucks. It's not my fault. (laughs) Give me my money. And she's like, everyone get him out of here. And they literally chase him out into a storm. And it's got that little like sped up film element that they have where like, they're all sort of like running in this very like comical way. It's so, so funny. Oh my um, gosh. I, I want to talk real quick about, um, this is something whenever we get an adaptation that includes the uh, Rochester in disguise scene, whether or not he's in drag as a uh, old lady gypsy, or if he's um, just got a fake beard and turban on to be an astrologer. I oftentimes, whenever we get to see this, I feel like this is such an opportunity for Rochester to not like to briefly break free from the restraints of his life that he hates where mm-hmm. he's like, I'm going to dress up in disguise and no one will know it is me. And it's just like, Oh, you poor repressed little theater kid. Oh. You just want to be on the stage. Little so whenever theater I, kid. He is a theater oh. kid. So I just, yeah. my heart goes out for it's him. So it was, yeah, it was a bizarre 
it was a classic gypsy scene, which I don't <laughs> like the word gypsy. I actually, it's very, it's very derogatory, but it's the word they use. It's the word we're going to use. Mm-hmm. Whatever you want to say. <laughs> um, but either way, it's sort of like living in this terrible stereotype. So I also don't want to associate Romani people with this like right. man dressing up like a fortune teller. <laughs> so um, anyway, he, he has this moment of like fully pretending to be this person and he's he's kind of like pushing her as we always see him do into admitting her feelings and I always find that so gross but (laughs) she says one of the sweetest things back to him which is he's he's sort of like saying like don't you really like this guy like he feels like I feel like somebody's like coming back into your life don't you remember who he is and she's like of course I remember who he is like she just sort of accepts the reality that this person like knows the whole story like she just immediately accepts that And he's like, well, then why aren't you saying anything to him? Because he comes in with the assumption that she doesn't remember who he is because she doesn't really remember him because she doesn't really care about him. Mm -hmm. And her response broke my heart, which is he is the moon and the stars and I am nothing but a small lamp. Oh, yes. There was so, God, there were so many lines that were just absolutely gorgeous. And I wrote down one too, that's like in sort of a similar scene where she says, I would save him from this brightness that is blinding him. And Mm. because I loved, there's quite a bit of talk about this kind of imagery of light, right? Of the moon Mm -hmm. and the stars and I am but a lamp. And when she talked about the brightness there, I think I can see how that would really touch him too, because like he said, for him, wealth is just like a poison. It's, Mm -hmm. it brings in greedy people. It changes people. It causes ulterior motives and all it's kind of with that line, all that glitters is not gold or whatever, Mm -hmm. where it's like, he's surrounded by this wealth and it's, it's bright and it's beautiful, but in her eyes and in his eyes, it's like, it's blinding. And it's like, no, I got to take you away from this, this bright place and into a, a place of simplicity and love. Yeah. Speaking of love. So it's, it's right after that he breaks up with his fiance, gets her out of there, does pretend that he's deeply in debt. Um, and that's, and like kind of tricks her into breaking up with him by being like, yeah, I'm like really in debt. Why would it matter to you? I know. Um, I love that where he's like, he's like, won't you love me when we're poor? And she's like, ew. <laughs> Gross. Don't touch me. Get your poor pinkies away from me. Um, and so she leaves and then he proposes is very Jane-esque, um, Jane-esque. <laughs> A new word again. <laughs> Look at us. Very Jane-esque proposal. Lots and... of symbolism. <laughs> symbolism. Symbolism. <laughs> Symbollywoodism. This is for you linguists out there. You're welcome. You get to hear language evolving live yeah. on this podcast. It's well, li- as live as a recorded podcast can be, you know, <laughs> I, I, I noted down a couple of things. I wrote down their love song. The good, um, his sunglasses. Very good. Oh, I, I love really the sunglasses. sunglasses. I saw that too. And I'm like, damn boy. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, maybe I know it's not period accurate, but maybe all Rochester should wear sunglasses because it really works with his character. But I really think this is a great opportunity to talk about something I want to hear your thoughts on because I think my thoughts are, oh, it's good. Mm-hmm. Um, but the music, what did you think of the music? What were, was it really good compared to other Bollywood films? Was it sort of standard? What were your thoughts? I thought I could definitely hear what I would assume from what I've seen, it sounded as if you can hear the evolution of musicals in Bollywood, like hearing this song, there's a lot of stuff in, in the way, like the structure of the songs that I I see in modern Bollywood. It was, I mean, classically, you know, this is a movie from the fifties, even look at like American movies from the fifties, the music is going to be quite different in style from like the music that you see today. But that kind of, I mean, I don't know enough like intelligent stuff to say to like, describe what I'm what I'm thinking of this comparison but it it hearkened to like a lot of like familiar kind of ballads that I feel like you hear in in Bollywood today and I did love that one fun fact which I'm sure is also true for this uh it's really common in Bollywood that the actors are not the ones who do their own singing there's even nowadays it's like a completely different profession it's nothing that's hid it's it's very publicly um kind of shared there are voice over artists who 
like go on concert tour and they are famous for just their voices being the people, they're the voices that you hear in the movies. But mm-hmm. it's pretty common that lead actors and actresses don't do their own singing. Sometimes they do, but um, dub dubbing is very common in Bollywood. So I was curious to, I don't know if this one, if the actors and actresses did their own singing or if they had, you know, other people, but that's just yeah, it was common. It was a pretty light IMDb, which we do see when we're looking at movies, kind of some of the TV movies that we've seen and other things. It's it sometimes is harder to find information on them, mm-hmm. but they only had like six cast members that were actually credited. Yeah. So there's a lot of people in this film, but not a lot of people credited in this film, mm-hmm. um, which did make the, the casting research that I did a little bit tougher. And I do, this may be a good opportunity to talk about the cast because I'm obsessed with them. Yeah, um, tell me. What are these fun so facts you found? The, the actress who plays Kamla is her her stage name, because almost all of these had in their Wikipedias, they had their stage name and their real names, and they cool. said they are known by their stage names. Her name is Mudubala, and she is incredibly famous. She actually died at only 36 years old. Oh. Um, and she, in that time was in 73 uh, movies that she was credited for on IMDb. And there's a New York Times article that actually compares her to Marilyn Monroe and says that she had a very similar sort of reputation in Bollywood during a similar time as Marilyn Monroe did. And there's a lot of information out there about her. She's very, very cool. Cool. And she actually had a nine-year relationship with the man who played Sankar. So his name is Dilip Kumar, and he lived until he was 98 years old, actually. And he was in 68 different movies. According to IMDb, he was an incredibly famous Bollywood actor. He died in 2021, so fairly recently, actually. Um, And he was referred to as the Tragedy King. So he was in a lot of movies where he played sort of that tragic lead character. And these two were in a lot of movies together. And that was part of the the research that I was doing was like, there was an interview with her sister where her sister talked about the fact that they were still sort of, he still loved her. And he showed up when she was in the hospital and said, you're going to get better and we're going to work together again. But he was with someone else at the time, but he wasn't married yet. So like, there's, it's one of those things where like, I'm reading this going, this could be its own movie. And so I don't know how much was like manufactured for press mm-hmm. um, or how much was real, but it's still really interesting and very Aww. worth looking at to me. But yeah, so they they were super fun to read about. I genuinely recommend like going in and looking at them. She in particular, I think was was really interesting to me and I think had a lot of additional layers of things. And he has a whole documentary about him. Oh, awesome. Um, you can go watch if you're interested in that. One thing that I found hilarious, they have an 11 year age gap. They're supposed to have been friends from childhood and they have 11 years difference between these two actors. That's so interesting. Yeah. Cause when we see them as kids, um, they seem like they're pretty close, like only like a few years apart, but yeah, interesting. Th- when this movie was filmed, she was 19 Okay. And he was 30. That's pretty close to like book ages for Jane and Rochester too. That's what I'm saying. Cause he's 35 in the book and she's 19, but they're supposed to have been, we see them as children the same age. What are you talking about? (laughs) Dude. I love it. I love it so much. (laughs) Again, uh, I'm going to do my best to pronounce this as it's supposed to be, but, um, he gave me vibes of, uh, one of like Shah Rukh Khan is essentially the Tom Cruise of Bollywood. He's uh, a name that I know. And as we've established, I don't know things about Bollywood. So he's yeah. wildly famous for people who haven't heard of him. Yeah. So um, when I was looking at the actor who plays Shankar, I was getting Shah Rukh Khan vibes. And I even like, I looked them up on IMDb because I was like, is he maybe like related? But I didn't see any sign that he that was, was true. He was so like famous at this time and in so many things he played a a very similar role to that actor in Bollywood at this in kind of the 50s and 60s and he was so famous that he was in another movie in 1952 with a character with the same name also Shankar and she was also his leading lady in that movie cute 
You know, it's got to be easy when you're filming a romance movie with the person you're actually in love with, right? There's literally no faking it. You're just like, oh. They were really in love and actually together. I want that to be true so badly. Please don't correct me if that's wrong or I'll have to meet you in the (laughs) fake Kmart parking lot. (laughs) Speaking of him, one thing that I wrote down that I love, this is after, you know, he confesses everything. We meet the wife uh, and they've had their conversation in the garden and then she runs away. The way he dealt with his grief was pretty like broody sexy for me. Cause first I can't remember what happened in order of operations, but he does two things. One, he plays a very moody piano and sings a song about how sad he is that his love has gone away. And I'm like, Oh yes. Oh, Edward Cullen, sing it. Uh, and then also he goes out and anger tries to chop down this tree, which I don't remember there being a, I mean, there are plenty of storm scenes. I don't remember us seeing lightning hit the tree, but as we know in the novel, lightning mm-hmm. strikes the tree right after Jane and Rochester propose underneath it. And he has a line when his, the maid who's kind of his new like stand-in mother comes out and she's like, no, the roots go too deep. You can't cut this thing down. Mm-hmm. Like if lightning couldn't strike it, then neither can you. And he's just like trying to get rid of this tree. Cause it reminds him of the woman that he loves. And I'm like, okay, you're super strong with an ax and you're playing moody piano. Sign me up. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm there for it. I don't think we're going to need to talk too much about the Bertha character and the, what we learn about her in that stay speech. Mm-hmm. Um, but I completely agree with you. I loved the way they played it afterwards. I think the stay speech was really, really good. We saw a lot of what we love in a stay speech, a little less like vulnerability and culpability there, a little bit more of the like, life is terrible and everything is bad. So I guess I didn't know how to be a person with empathy anymore, which is very Rochester take. But we learn that the difference in this from the, his father sort of and his father and his brother tricked him in. It's his mother. Um, she spends away all their wealth. They are out of money. And so she uses the only thing that she has, which is her son, makes her mar- him marry this woman that he doesn't know. He meets her and she's full crazy. Whoa, is she crazy? I loved the scene that they show where he's like, walking towards her and I don't know if it's supposed to be their wedding bed or just like sort of a ceremonial sort of like altar Mm -hmm. thing but she's behind this like beautiful like beaded veil and she parts the veil and sticks her insane face through and Mm -hmm. it's instantly like like you married me guess what and I'm like oh my god Um, (laughs) loved her her commitment to crazy I I also loved her so her brother who I don't know that he gets a name in the movie but he is such a classic villain. He's got a villain mole. Um, he's constantly just like hanging out outside of windows. He starts with the silhouette every single time. Mm-hmm. He's been blackmailing Shankar the whole movie because he's like, I know the truth. You probably shouldn't be marrying any of these ladies. Stop kissing all these ladies. Mm-hmm. And when he interrupts the um, wedding, there's an interesting element of he has never been attacked by not Bertha Bertha, yeah. um, but Rochester was in a very Mason-esque way. When he interrupts the wedding, he goes, my sister's here and she's not crazy at all. He's a monster who made her crazy. And I'm like, oh my God, Piper and I've talked about that so many times. I know. I wrote um, that down too. I was like, he's like the first person who said it. He's like, my sister's fine and you made her this way. Yeah. If we can believe the flashbacks were shown, I don't think that's true. Yeah. Um, but I do love that. Yeah. The first time that uh, Shankar goes up to deal with his wife, which as I mentioned in my summary, she is up there screaming her head off. Yeah, it's, it's not a laugh, it's a scream and it's terrifying. It's a blood-curdling scream and I would definitely be like, okay, people are getting murdered in this house. And then when she like peeks her head out to see him, his like Rochester uh, Shankar's shirt is torn and he's all bloody. So she's like viciously attacked him and he said that like when the maid slash his kind of step-in mom, she's like, "Oh, like she's hurt you." And he's like, "It's no worse wound than I've received every days of my life and it's like this very like moody thing he's like she's constantly hurting me what else is new and I'm like oh my god you're so broody <laughs> so we we find out in the stay speech that that wound that he's he's had since he met her was because his mother tricked him into marrying her and for the money and he has all this money but he doesn't really want it and he's up he's been thinking of our lovely Kamala the whole time and uh after he's done giving that speech he he tries to get her to stay in in very Jane-esque ways she says she can't 
the line though that stood out to me there was quite a few moments in this where both for like mostly for a, a movie from this time period because they didn't have the whole haze code thing which is where some idiot came into hollywood and he's like i don't want there to be any sex or swearing or fun in movies it's not allowed that's the american thing so i don't know what kind of codes they had for bollywood movies but like this was rather sexual without doing any sexual stuff. Like he's, you know, the way he's trying mm -hmm. to kiss people. But the line that caught my attention big time when he was doing the stay speech is he says to her, and it's like kind of scary, but kind of not where he's like, I can compel you to stay. But if I did, mm -hmm. I would only have your body and not your soul. And I was like, damn, dude. Which, like, I also think we've seen similar lines in I, the 2011 jumps to mind for me mm, that yes. when she's going to leave, he's got her and he's holding her. And I think doesn't 83 do the same thing. Um, 83 doesn't have a line like that. He is kind of like grabby with Jane, but he doesn't say the line. The line that's referenced in the 2011 is something that's in the novel. I'm pretty sure where he says something where he's like, I could bend you between my thumb and forefinger. Like he's essentially like, mm -hmm. I could, you know, force you to be here. I'm strong mm -hmm. enough if I wanted to, but that's yeah. not what I want from you. Yeah. And so, oh, it's it touches a lot of levels. Cause you know, it's, it's yeah. kind of his misogyny and like womanizing coming back from his past, but also it's this poet in him that we know where he's like, I don't want to be a rapist. I want to be a lover. I want you to and love I me think, back and want me. I think that that's such an important, I don't know if it, it's, I'm going to just say like, it's, it's a thing I see in a lot of romances that I sort of attribute to a female gaze thing mm -hmm. where we want someone like in, in romances, I read a lot of romances where the guy is like physically way stronger. And in life that can be scary in a way that is not sexy because there is a genuine risk that any woman knows of that mm -hmm. a man can actually force you. Mm -hmm. And there are lots of examples in media of men who don't actually give a shit about who you are and just want your body. Mm -hmm. And if they can coerce you or force you, that's what they want. Mm -hmm. And it is such an important distinction in all of the best romances mm -hmm. that even though they want your body, they only want it if you also want them because what they want is you and who you are as a person exactly. and their ability to force you to give them what they want won't actually get them what they want. Exactly. The difference between a consensual sexual relationship and rape in case exactly. anyone is wondering where that line is. <laughs> no, you're right. And without going into um, a whole like topic about this, because it's mm -hmm. kind of what we did in Bridgerton, but <laughs> there is sort of, we've talked about a romance novel in itself is typically when you start the book, you know, consent is the key because mm -hmm. it's like, this is why we're here. We want certain tropes. Everyone is consenting and agreeing to it. The writer, the reader, et cetera. So yes, that level of strength. And it's like, Ooh, you could take me away if you wanted to. And I'm okay with it. I'm just going to say no. Cause society says I should say no. And it's like, you know, it's like kind of like role play, right? Yeah. You know, we're all saying yes to this, but we're playing with the danger. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. And I could, talk about consent all day. Um, I won't because that's not what we're here for, but I do think that that's an important piece of that moment is there's no fear there because we know that Rochester would never, because that's not why he loves Jane. Exactly. He loves Jane because of who she is. And even though that line can be read as frightening, it's that, it's that, that line we've talked about before, where is it safety or is it sort of like a sexy level of passion? Mm -hmm. The 57 went the wrong way. Yes. Did not understand where that line was, <laughs> went very for real dangerous, but a lot of the other ones kind of dance along it. And, and we see, we feel safe with Rochester because we know he would never. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Um, he's just going to go play a piano and chop a tree instead. That's uh, how he's yeah. going to do And then it. in the meantime, while he's playing that piano and dropping, uh, chopping that tree, she goes, drop that and tree. <laughs> she goes and burns his flower, which means that his house burns down for realsies. I really loved that visual parallel. I thought mm -hmm. that was beautiful because it's, first of all, introduced early on in the story when she mm -hmm. first goes to the temple where they're like, okay, we have to burn all your clothes from your past life so you can cast aside, you know, your ties to uh, the material world. 
And then again, when she returns to the temple, she's greeted by her fellow priestesses. And they're like, okay, we're going to go through the, like, the purification or cleansing ceremony so you can come back into faith here with us and make this your whole life. And as she's sitting there by the fire, ready to like toss in, you know, the last of her, her love for her Shankar, not this Shankar, <laughs> we get cut scenes of uh, the Thornfield essentially burning down. And I thought that was a beautiful parallel. It was so mm-hmm. good. It was so well done. And then she physically runs to him. We watch the whole thing. She falls down. It's very dramatic. And she shows up. <laughs> And he literally thinks it's a dream. Yeah. He is like, is it night already? And she goes, no, it's just the very beginning of the day. Like day has just broken, which she does start the ceremony at 4 a.m. So time-wise it does work out. He goes, no, because you only come at night. And he like fully believes that it's a dream all the way up until the maid mom that we talked about a lot uh, goes, she's here. No, no, no. Like that's actually her. And he goes, my dreams are so vivid that even you can see them now. And she goes, no, Kamala's for real here. And he runs (laughs) back. He turns around and runs back to her. And that's how we end is them embracing. And it's so beautiful. It is so beautiful. I loved this. I am ready to lay out my my rating if you are let me double check that I don't have any other notes on this on cool things oh I do have one other thing on uh that I I wanted to mention uh as a fact that I looked up during it so I wanted to know because I don't have a lot of context for Bollywood in general and then additionally I definitely don't have a lot of context for 52 Bollywood so I wanted to know what people thought about it and there was a criticism at the time (laughs) By critics referred to it as a dull, boring, and stupid picture. Oh no! Uh, but they did really like <laughs> Dilip Kumar's uh, acting, which is a quote that I looked at the citing for that, that it comes from the documentary about him. So I don't know how much they were like, I don't like this movie. and But I really like this one guy that this documentary is about. However, it was a huge commercial success. So I don't have a great standard for what the... Cr- the films in Bollywood were making at the time. So I'm not going to include any of the dollars because I don't have context for that. But for box office in India, it was declared a commercial success. So very much a blockbuster. We loved the movie, but not necessarily critically acclaimed at the time. Okay. Well, that's good to know. My personal rating, I think I'm going to give this one a solid eight out of 10. Oh boy. I should have thought about my ranking for this. Uh, I'm just, let's stick with uh, Timmy D's. Um, oh. Yeah. Cause I really, I, I enjoyed this portrayal of Rochester. He was up there for me. So I'm going to give this an eight out of 10 Timmy D's. I really enjoyed the experience of watching this. It was something very different. I thought, given the context that I have around Jane Eyre, it was really fun to watch something very different. I don't know that without the context that I have and the reasons that I'm watching it, I would have enjoyed it. I think there were some moments that were 1952 that were just Bollywood's maybe not my taste, but I I did really enjoy watching it. So I put it slightly above an average at a six out of 10 longing looks. Very nice. Beautiful. I I'm so glad that we finally are getting to see what a different cultural perspective takes from this story. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I'm, I'm so excited to see more because I know there's at least a couple more Bollywoods. There's a uh, like an Italian movie. I'm pretty sure mm-hmm. there's one from, there's Mexico like four Italian America. movies. There's some that are at least in Spanish. The the thing that we're struggling with now, so if you have something on this or other adaptions that you want to watch is, I found a lot of the Italian versions with no subtitles. And I've found a lot of references to some of the other Bollywood ones without a great way to access those. Okay. So um, we are looking into it. We're going to find more. We've got some others lined up. But as always, please, please, please submit your adaptions that you want us to try to watch. And if you have ways to access some of these, please send us those to us as well. You can go to airbuds.com. We actually have now updated that. So it'll take you to our website. Um, and we have an adaption suggestion page. You can see all the ones that we've watched already. Um, and you can go ahead and submit any adaptions that you think we should watch there. 
Yeah. And uh, if you want to share your opinions with us, um, you can email us. Uh, we are airbuds at gmail.com. You can connect with us on social. We're on all the major platforms, specifically uh, Instagram at airbuds. But yeah, we would love to hear from you guys and your thoughts on this. Mm -hmm. uh, yes. So, and I know from looking at our analytics on the website, we do have a decent uh, decent. We have some people from India who are listening. So mm -hmm. if you're a big Bollywood fan, whether you're from India or not, um, let us know what you think. We would love to hear your guys' thoughts on this and providing additional context. I think Piper and I have both been really clear about the things that we know and the things that we don't know. Um, the things that we think that we know. <laughs> um, so we, we always love having additional context. We've had a couple of listeners send in some stuff that has always been really, really helpful and very interesting. And we love sharing that with our audience as well. But if you want to know what we're doing next week, that is another opportunity to check out our super cool website that I spend too much time on, um, <laughs> which is uh, we are doing another chunk of the book next week. So we have now read chapters 11 through 14 to chapter 15. Uh, if you're thinking to yourself, but Lillian, you said you were going to read to chapter 24. Yeah, I <laughs> I did say that with a lot of confidence and I was very wrong, which is why our website now has a new page called Read Along, where I laid out what we're going to read and when, and you can follow along there and you can find um, any episodes that we've already released there all in sort of one spot so that if you are going to read with us, you don't have to rely on my patchy memory and inability to read Roman numerals. <laughs> Um, on that beautiful note, um, join us next week, uh, to hear our thoughts about this. I will give you a glimpse into the future and say, we've already recorded it and damn, is it good? So, it's so good. Don't oh. miss it. You need to be there for this. Oh, also please, please, please write reviews for us. If you like listening to our podcast, yeah. what was the finger guns? Piper, Piper just really intense finger guns. I was like, yeah, leave us some reviews, baby. We, we've had a lot of people say lovely things and we always appreciate it. Piper and I send them back and forth to each other because we monitor different platforms and it's been really made my week, I know, to, to hear <laughs> what you guys think about this. Obviously, if you have criticisms, you can send those too, but we're very, I have a very fragile ego. <laughs> and very strong fists. <laughs> <laughs> so um, on any of the platforms that you listen to our podcast on, it is so helpful. We have really truly loved finding this little Jane Eyre community that we didn't know about you guys have educated us and we hope you're enjoying listening to this and if you are you can help more people find it by leaving those reviews or sharing it with friends absolutely so until then you guys we love you so much happy Jane Eyre reading and watching we'll see you later bye bye